Thank you for checking out our New Beginning Podcast. This is a place where it doesn't matter who you are or where you come from. A place where you belong. A place where you can grow. A church family that is waiting to embrace you. A community of people reaching out to impact our community. This is New Beginnings. And now, Pastor Jonathan Murray. standing stay standing if you're seated that's fine remain seated but let's lift our hands come on we know the lifting of the hands is something the word of God instructs us to do the Bible tells us that it is a posture and position of worship and surrender but it's also our way of receiving it's our way of saying to God today whatever you have for us whatever you want to do we're ready to receive it so with those hands lifted father Our hands being lifted today is a reflection. It is a picture of the opening of our hearts, our minds, and our spirits. Lord, we take so seriously these moments, knowing that we're not just going to hear some encouraging words or even some things that will help us in practical life. But even beyond that, God, we're going to hear your word, your voice. And God, when you speak, things happen, things change, things that didn't exist begin to exist, and things that need to not exist no longer exist. Let your word go forth today in power. Let it be sharp. Let it be quick. And let it do what you intended to do today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Everybody said amen. And amen. Come on, give God some praise. Give God some praise. And you may be seated. You may be seated. I want to minister to you today from a very familiar story. I'm sure it's familiar to many of you. It's found in the Gospel of Mark, the fifth chapter. I feel as if in 2018, which of course we've declared to be the year of increase, that part of my assignment as your pastor has has been to not just bring the prophetic increase that God is going to release, but my job as your pastor is to increase you. I'm trying to make you big people. Because if I can make you big, if I can increase your space, there's something that you need to understand about our God. God loves filling empty places. Everyone loves to focus in Genesis on the fact that the earth was without form, that it was void, that it was dark. But very few people talk about one of the reasons that it attracted God was that it was empty. Because he loves filling empty spaces. And if my preaching and my teaching can stretch you in your faith, if it can stretch you in your mind, in your ability to believe, stretch you in the way you see something, then God will begin to fill that empty space. In other words, as I told you coming into 2018, you got to increase you before God increases you. And I feel like it is my assignment, even as we go into the revival nights that we're having, we're coming into one in a few weeks. It's my job to stretch your faith, to build your faith and get you ready and tell you prophetically the season of life that you are in. And I believe God has something very powerful to speak to us today out of this well-known familiar story in Mark chapter five. I'm going to read a few verses, but I will skip around to conserve time. Let's start in Mark chapter five, verse 22. Give me a big amen if you're there. Behold, there came one of the rulers of the synagogue. Jairus was his name. 
And when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet and he began to uh, talk to him and say to him, my daughter is lying at the point of death. So I pray, Jesus, that you would come and lay your hands on her, that she would be healed and that she would live. And Jesus went with him and many people followed him and thronged him. And I want you to bring your attention up here to me. Uh, Instead of reading the next few verses, let me paraphrase for the sake of time. There's a woman who had suffered from an issue of blood for 12 years, internal bleeding, hemorrhaging. And the Bible said she'd gone to every doctor she could go to and didn't get any better. She got worse, spent all the money that she had. One day she heard Jesus was coming to town. She says inside of herself, if I could but touch the hem of his garment. No preacher can say that story without preaching a little bit. I know that I shall be whole. And she reaches out, presses through the crowd, touches the hem of his garment. Jesus stops and says, who touched me? The disciples said, Jesus, I, I, we love you, but you've had a long day, Lord. What do you mean who touched you? This crowd, all these people bumping into you. And he said, no, it was different. Life left my body. Virtue left my body. He sees this woman trembling and he begins to engage her in conversation. And while he's talking to her, watch what happens in verse 35. Look at what happens in verse 35. He's talking to this woman and it says, while Jesus yet spoke, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house, a certain servant, which said unto him, Jairus, your daughter is now dead. She was sleeping at the beginning or sick at the beginning, but now she's dead here towards the end. He says, so don't trouble the master any further. But as Jesus hears this word, he says to the ruler of the synagogue, don't be afraid, only believe. He suffered no man to go with him saying, Peter, James, and John. And when Jesus came to the house of the ruler, he saw the tumult, them that wept and wailed greatly. And when he came in, Pastor John of the Mill was about to preach. Why do you make this ado? And why do you weep? Because the girl is not dead. She is sleeping. But they laughed at him. And when he had put them out, he took the father and the mother of the damsel, them that were with them, and entered to where the damsel was lying. And he took her by the hand and said to her, Arise. And straightway the girl got up, walked around, and was healed. Amen. Now, allow me to set this, this scene for you a little bit more clearly. Jesus walks into this house where this 12-year-old girl who had just passed away once lived. And when he walks into this house, the house is crowded. It's full of people that were mourning and people that were grieving. You need to understand that back in Bible days, can you give me five minutes to set this foundation? Back in Bible days, people took grieving and mourning very seriously. There was a heavy emphasis placed on it, strong importance placed on it. So much to the point that it wasn't just family members that would mourn, they would actually hire professional mourners, professional grievers. Some of you'd have a job if you lived back in Jesus' days. (laughs) Matthew's gospel, his account of this story tells us that they even had a band that they hired. They brought in a band to play grieving music. So they took grieving and mourning very, very seriously. Heavy emphasis placed on it. But not only that, they also placed a heavy emphasis, strong significance and importance on emotional integrity, emotional transparency. 
Think about it. These people had this thing locked up long before Dr. Phil came and figured it out. They, they knew how to show some feelings and to show some emotion. They, they had this thing figured out. So there was a significance placed on emotional integrity, emotional transparency. There was also significance placed on the process of mourning and the process of grieving. Why? They wanted to find a way to give expression to the emotional pain that was associated with their grief and with their loss. And this was their custom when anybody died. It didn't matter how young or how old, they would hire mourners, they would hire grievers and express their emotional pain. Now, can y'all open up your hearts and, and go with me somewhere? Can y'all open up your hearts and go somewhere with me? Let's make this story real. Let's put ourselves there for just a moment. This was not the death of just any person. This was the death of a 12-year-old girl whose entire life was still ahead of her. A girl whose life was cut short. And you know, some of you may have experienced loss in your life of a loved one, a husband, a wife, maybe a child or a grandchild. And when you hear me talk about it, it hurts you. But can I say that hurt is a good thing, not a bad thing? Thank you, fan, for saying Amen. The hurt is not, listen, if you can't talk about pain, he'll never be able to heal the pain. And I know it hurts. I know it's frustrating. I know you're re-agitating a wound. God sometimes has to agitate it to keep cleaning it. You have to always remember what you went through. Like I have to remember, you know, I'm testifying today. My family's been restored, but don't you think I'll ever forget the pain and the feeling of those 18 years? And it's why I can talk to you today. God's texting me again. I told him not to do that in my messages. I have to stay aware of that pain so I can get you to be aware of your pain so I can get you to heal from that pain. And everyone in this room knows what loss feels like. Whether it's loss of finances, whether it's loss of family, whether it's the loss of years, whether it's the loss of joy. And I'm trying to get you to identify with the deep sense of loss that these people would have felt being in the very house where this 12-year-old girl once used to jump around and run around. I know I'm going to make it modern, but her PlayStation was still sitting there under the flat screen TV. Her Barbie dolls laid on the floor where she had just played with them maybe three or four days later. What I'm trying to do is paint a picture that everywhere they looked, they were reminded of what was taken from them. And here comes Jesus. This overly dramatic presentation of grief that must have been displayed to show the grief about the loss of this girl. Jesus comes in the room and the first thing he does, he says, I'm sorry, y'all, but I'm going to have to clear this room. I need everybody that's expressing feelings and emotions to leave. Now, you've got to understand something about your God. Not only is God your father, but he's a good father. And that means he loves you and he cares about you. When you hurt, he hurts. When you feel, he feels. God loves you and he cares about you. Can I tell you that God cares so much about your feelings and your emotions that he took the person of himself, Jesus, the son, and wrapped himself in an earthly body? 
lot of reasons God became man, but one of the reasons is Hebrews tells us, so we now have a high priest who's been touched by our infirmities. Isaiah writes to us about Jesus. I feel God in here and says that he was a man that was familiar with sorrow, a man that was acquainted with grief. All that means is because he became flesh, when you hurt, he knows what that hurt hurts like. When you feel, he knows what that feeling feels like. He's dealt with everything that you've dealt with. He knows what physical, emotional, and spiritual pain feels like. He knows what it's like to be angry and afraid. He knows what it's like to be confused. God cared so much about our feelings and our emotion that he became us so he could identify with us. I'm trying to persuade you that your God cares. He cares so much about your feelings. He cares so much about your emotions that after Jesus is born, walks the earth 33 years, dies on a cross, buried three days, raised from the dead, ascends to heaven, what does God do? He said, I care so much about your feelings and your emotions. I am going to send one after Jesus, the son, the third person of the Trinity. His name is the Holy Spirit. And God made it clear, hear your pastor, that one of the primary purposes and functions of the Holy Spirit would be to comfort you and to be your peace. Well, what you need comfort and peace for if you don't have some emotions and some feelings? God cares about your feelings. He cares about your emotion. So when Jesus shows up and tells everybody that's expressing feelings and emotions, get out. If you're crying, you're grieving in your mourning, get out. Does this seem to anybody to be a little strange? This is contrary to the nature of God because God is our Father and He loves us. Quite honestly, it's contrary to the nature of Jesus. We read that He's a loving, kind, compassionate, gracious, merciful, patient God. He's our brother. He's the firstborn amongst many brethren. He's a friend that sticks closer to a brother. So for him to go in and say, everyone that has a feeling and emotion, get out, seems very contrary to the nature of Jesus as well as to the nature of the Father. So now we ask the question, and now I'm getting to my message. Why did Jesus kick them out of that room? He didn't kick them out to show us that he doesn't care about your feelings and your emotions. Are you ready for this? He kicked them out to show you that your feelings and your emotions have no place when he is getting ready to move. Feelings and emotions have no place when he's getting ready to perform a miracle. Why? Number one, they don't have a place because feelings and emotions don't move God. He cares, he hurts, he feels, but he doesn't move. Ah, You can get God to cry with you without getting him to move for you. You can get him to hug you without moving. You can get him to love you without moving on your behalf. Your feelings and emotions matter to him, but they do not move him. Your Bible says there is one thing that moves God, and it is faith. Faith moves him, and faith pleases him. 
Can I prove this to you? Do you remember King Hezekiah? Isaiah wrote about him. He was a king. God showed up one day and said, Hezekiah, I'm sorry to tell you this, but you're going to die. And here's the date. Circle it on your calendar. And by the way, dude, you're not going to be able to change my mind. You're not going to be able to do anything about it. No prayer you're going to pray. You can't call TBN or Daystar. Ain't nobody coming to lay their hands on you. You're going to die and cannot change my mind. What does Hezekiah do? He turns to the wall. He begins to cry. He begins to weep. He's angry. He's afraid. He's hurting. He's in pain. And God says, sorry, not going to change my mind. What does Hezekiah do again? He turns to the wall. He cries out. He weeps. He's angry. He's afraid. He's hurting. And he's in pain. God says, no, sorry, not going to change my mind. What does he do? He turns his face to the wall. He cries out. He prays. He's angry. He's hurting. He's in pain. And finally, God says, you know what? You just done got me to change my mind. But it wasn't Hezekiah's feelings. And it wasn't his expression of emotion. It wasn't the fit. It wasn't the anger. It wasn't the sincerity of his heart. It was the persistence of his faith. Time after time again. Denial after denial. I'll turn my face to this wall and I will persist in faith. Until that faith moves God. Feelings and emotions don't move him. It is your faith that moves him. So Jesus walks into this house and he tells everybody, I'm sorry, but I'm going to have to clear the room. If you're crying, if you're grieving, we can set up counseling for you. We can talk to you. But right now I'm walking into this space. And before I move, I have to clear the room because Jesus understood the importance of protecting the space. Can I get into this? He understood the importance of protecting the space. Don't sit here and act like you ain't got a space. A place in your life where impossibility lies, where you need a miracle, where you need God to do something for you that only he can do for you. And I want to give you God's blessing to have your feelings and to have your emotions. You cry your cry. You shout your shout. Yell your yell. Get it out, child. Have a good cry. Be angry. Be afraid. Hurt. Be in pain. It's okay. Have your feelings. But you also got to learn that as you have your feelings, you have a responsibility to protect your space. Have your feelings, have your emotion. Well, I have a right to feel how I want to feel. Yes, you do. But you've also been given a right purchased by the blood of God to make you a man and to make you a woman that rises up and say, the devil is under my feet. Crucify your feelings. Crucify your emotions. And say, I'm going to have you. I'm going to feel you. But you're not coming in to this been very, very careful in my life because I'm aware that my mountain is always listening. God, help me jump into this. You, did, you didn't hear what I just said. My mountain is always listening. We shout, our mountain knows our voice. Mark eleven twenty three. say to the mountain, be thou removed and cast in it. Your mountain is always listening to you. Right. And on Sunday, when you're shouting out it to be moved, it remembers Saturday. Right. How you were in there praising it over God. Right. 
Because whatever you make big in your life, you've worshiped and you've given your praise to. And that mountain is sitting on Sunday laughing at you because you are sending it conflicting messages. Jesus understood there's a time to grieve and there's a time to mourn, but then there's a time to shut up and get it out of the room so my power can invade the dead body, invade the dead marriage, invade the dead business, and bring back to life what was dead. You've got to protect the space. Got to have my feelings, yeah. Have your emotions, yes. But they're not coming into this space. I'm careful what feelings I have. I'm all about emotional transparency and emotional take. Got to get it out or you'll blow up someday. But I'm very careful not to speak feelings, or excuse me, rather curses described as feelings. God doesn't love me is not a feeling. It is a curse. Tired of hearing people blaspheme God and say, well, I'm just having some feelings. Then tell them I feel alone. Don't tell them you left me. I feel like you failed me. Don't tell them you did fail me because your mountain is listening. Even when you complaining and yelling at God, your mountain is listening. Just as that little girl lying on the other side of that door had two ears, even in a dead state or a sleeping state, she was in hearing distance of the words being spoken in the atmosphere surrounding her impossible situation. And that's why Jesus said, you can have your feelings, book a trip to Dr. Phil, but right now when I'm getting ready to quicken what is dead, shut up. And keep your feelings and your emotions out the door because I can't work in feelings. I can't move in emotion. There is one thing that moves me, excites me, and gets me to respond, and it's faith. I don't want nothing in this room except faith. Feelings and emotions don't move, and faith moves him. Now, the second reason that Jesus does not do miracles when feelings and emotions have been given a place. Y'all ready for this? It's found in, in this story. When Jesus shows up, he says to them, why are you crying? Why are you making this big production? Now, he wasn't criticizing the fact that they were grieving. This was customary. What he was criticizing was the fact that your grieving isn't really necessary. See, some of you are freaking out about things that don't really even exist. But I see them. We don't live by sight. See, when Jesus walked in, he didn't understand why the mourners were mourning because when he looks at the situation, he saw sleep. When they looked, they saw dead. So he says, why, why are you all making this big production? She's not dead. She is just asleep. The reason feeling and emotions can have no place when God wants to move is because feelings and emotions will always cause you to see things differently than the way they really are. And as long as you look through the lens of feelings and emotions, you'll never see things the way God sees them. Same girl, same house, same bed, same situation. One said dead, one said sleep. 
Your feelings and emotions will always cause you to see things differently than what they are and differently than the way God sees them. So he said, I've got to get everybody that isn't seeing like I'm seeing out of the room. In other words, he can't do a miracle while there are two opinions. How long holds she between two opinions? If God be God, then follow him. As long as you're double-minded, as long as you're saying, well, maybe it's just sleep. No, it's really dead. As long as you're combating between those two emotions, double-minded, doubled opinion, no miracle. Protect your space. Feelings and emotions can have them, but it got to stay outside of that place of impossibility. And my opinion does not matter. My perception doesn't matter. He said sleep. I'll say sleep. But you know she's dead. Uh Uh-huh. He said sleep. Protect your space. I end, and it will be a long ending. But at least it's an ending. Look at your neighbor and say, at least he's starting. At least he's starting. Now listen. I want to key in on these words. And this is really what God put on my heart earlier this week for today. The words Jesus speaks, this girl is not dead. There's significance and importance in those words. And of course, significance and importance in all the words he speaks. She's not, uh, or rather she's sleeping. There's something in that. I don't have time to get to it. So let me focus on those particular words. She is not dead dead. You need to understand that those words were not actually Jesus's words. Can y'all stay with me for just five minutes? Okay. Can y'all stay with me for just five minutes? Jesus was not the first person to speak those words in this story. He borrowed them from somebody else. You want to know who? Her daddy, the girl's daddy, Jairus. When Jairus first approached Jesus and engaged him, what did he say? My daughter is at the point of death. In other words, she's close, but she ain't there quite yet. She's not dead. Now, stay with me because I understand that when Jairus would have spoken those words, he was not speaking words of faith. Those were real words. They were factual. They were true. Because to the best of his knowledge, at the time he started talking to Jesus, the girl was not dead. It wasn't until that woman with the issue of blood messed everything up that she died. So I realized that when he spoke those words, she is not dead. This is what Jairus told Jesus. I understand that at that time, those words were true, not faith. They were factual words, but watch what Jesus does. God, I feel this here. It's like Jesus turns to Jairus and says to him, Hey, I know a lot has happened from the time we first started talking. When you first engaged me, a lot has happened from then to now. Jairus, I understand we're in a different place right now. And we're in a different situation altogether. We're at a totally different part in this story, and it took a bad turn. I get it that a lot has happened from then to now. But it was as if Jesus was saying to Jairus, even though a lot has happened from then to now, Jairus, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to hold myself accountable. And I'm going to bind myself to the words you spoke before we got here. Oh, God, help me. 
I'm going to bind myself to the words you spoke before we actually got to this place, this situation, this part in the story. And all I'm trying to do is to get you to understand that some of you have spoken some things over your life long before you got to where you are today in this place, this situation, this condition, this point in the story, which is your life. Y'all acting like you've never prophesied your way out before you even found your way in. Some of you prophesied yourself blessed long before the economy tanked and the floor dropped out and you lost everything. Some of you prophesied your healing before you ever got sick. Don't you remember the days, the weeks, the months, for some of you, the years that you'd wake up and the first thing you'd do while you drank your coffee was say, I'll never know a day of sickness. I'll walk in divine health. My children will know health. And now that you're sick, you're tripping. Why? You already prophesied yourself healed before you even got sick. Remember what you spoke over your marriage. Before you started speaking out of bitterness and hurt and disappointment, remember what you said about that man before you said, I do. And you've been saying, don't ever since. Before your marriage got to the place it's in, before your business got to the place it's in, before your children got to where they are today, when you saw that bump on your belly, you laid your hands on it, didn't you? You spoke over that baby. And now that that baby's doing everything opposite of what you spoke over, you can't sleep at night. I love you, but what's the matter with you? You've let your feelings and your emotions into your room. You've let your feelings and your emotions dictate your baby coming back to Jesus. Get those feelings and emotions out and realize before they even got strung out, I said prophetess. I said man of God. I said you will live and serve the Lord. You prophesied your way out. My daddy, when he found out that my mother was pregnant with me, she said, I hope it's a girl. I was going to be Angela. Don't I look like if I was a girl, I'd definitely be an Angela. No offense, Angela's, but I would be a good. My mom said, well, it's going to be a girl. My dad said, no, it's not. She said, well, let's go get it checked out. He said, no, we don't need to. It's going to be a son. He's going to be a boy. His name is going to be Jonathan. Gift from God. Man, was he prophetic on that one. (laughs) I'm going to take my time today. He said, he's going to preach. And he's going to be a prophet to the nations. And God's going to use him at a young age. And my mom said, you can, you can do whatever you want. Say, but I'm going to pray for a girl. And he said, you go ahead and pray for a girl. You ain't changing God's mind. He has made a judgment. He knew he's going to have a son. When I was born, labor was difficult. My mother went into, they had to put her under anesthetic and the umbilical cord was wrapped several times around my neck. When I was born, I went for about two or three minutes without my heart beating, without breathing. And they told my parents my face was completely purple. And they said to my parents that your son, there's no way he could have gone this long without breathing, without oxygen, and not have brain damage. Now, don't say anything there, please. (laughs) I got to be safe to talk, you know, to this house. Y'all like, oh, now we understand. Oh, see, child, I understand. Okay. (laughs) Contrary to what my father would say if he was preaching, there has been no brain damage. 
at least not from that. Praise the Lord. They told my parents, he'll never be able to talk. He won't be able to call your name. Won't be able to use the bathroom on his own. They don't know the extreme extremes of it, but they said your child is going to be not okay. Six months after I was born, they saw the evidence that I wouldn't be okay. I would sit in my car seat and all of a sudden just have seizures. They found a specialist. Was it in Tennessee or where was it that you guys were? You were going to a church, weren't you? They don't take me to specialists. They took me to church. <laughs> Becky, there's a healing service in Arkansas. Let's go. <laughs> Greatest doctor in the world is next door. We going to Arkansas. Fire gods there. Come on. <laughs> I'm for real. I had walking pneumonia for five days, 104 degree fever. Most parents would take their kids to the hospital. My mom said, we need to take him to Dr. Busey. That was our doctor. He'll call him in. And my dad said, we could take him to the doctor. Oh, we could. Take him to the house of God. Mom said, the church is cheaper. They loaded me up. <laughs> And I walked off out of my walking pneumonia. As I sat in church, they took me somewhere. Tennessee, they were on I-75. That's all I remember. Mom was sleeping, which she always does when she's in a car or sitting in a chair. <laughs> Dad's driving all by himself in the middle of the night, tears streaming down his face. He pulls the car over on the side of the road by a mountain, takes me out of my car seat like Simba being lifted up. He lifted me up by that rock and said, this is not what you promised me. I spoke before you were born, and he's telling me this. I spoke before you are born that you would preach, and if you can't say daddy, you can't say Jesus. You are going to be a prophet, boy. You are going to speak to the nation. And I saw and I can see God saying to himself, oh, that's right. Before he even had a seizure, you spoke that he'd preach before he got to this. And God wants me to tell you today that not only is he going to bind himself and hold himself accountable to his word, but he's going to bind himself and hold himself accountable to those words that you spoke over your life before you got here, to this place, to this situation, this part of the story. And if God is going to bind himself and hold himself accountable to those words, I think you would be wise to bind yourself and hold yourself accountable. If he remembers, you should remember. I'm convinced, and God's will is always done, I know that, but I'm convinced had my dad not remembered what he spoke before I got to that place, and had he not put God in remembrance, I'm convinced I wouldn't be standing here today, and some of you might be like that, I've been nice for a week, but listen, I wouldn't be preaching, I wouldn't be a functional person had it not been for the fact that someone spoke a word over me before I got there. And someone had the ability to bind themselves just as God did to the word that was spoke over me. As Carlos comes, I want to I end by worshiping here. 
in, in a worshipful atmosphere. Do you know that there's things that happen in my life all the time that come against me, obstacles, difficulties, seasons, that are opposite of things that I've spoken over my life, opposite of things that have been spoken over my life. I remember when I went crazy for a few years in, in high school. My mom and dad both were put through so much because of me. <laughs> Pastor Becky, first amen of the service. <laughs> she did amen the sleep comment. She knew that was true. Never once, though, my parents, I remember time after time after time again. It's okay, you'll preach one day. You'll get there. You'll get, there. You'll get it right. We want to kill you right now, but you'll get it right. Because they knew a word was spoken. Crazy as it sounds, I would go out on Fridays and Saturday nights. Pastor Becky, plug your ears. I don't want you to hear all this. I'm still scared of her. I'd be out 3 o'clock in the morning. My friends would say, Johnny, you got to go home. Why, man? You got church tomorrow. You got to be there by nine. Everyone knew I was going to be a preacher. I, I didn't even tell people. They just knew it. There's a word spoken over me. I knew I couldn't run because there was a word spoken over me. And all I'm trying to get you to do right now is to remember. Because some of you got a prophecy when you were young. Some of you read a scripture one time that changed your life and said, this, this is for me. Somebody was in worship one time and God put something in your heart and gave you a promise. Some of you spoke blessing over certain areas of your life long before you got to the place you're in right now. And all I want you to do is say, God, I want to hold myself accountable. I want to bind myself to those words as you bound yourself to them. I put myself in remembrance as I know God remembers. It's amazing when God showed up to Abraham in Genesis 13, he said to him, the son that you don't even have yet, this is before Isaac was born. He said, the son that you don't even have yet is going to become a, a nation of people. And that nation of people is going to serve in a strange place. They're going to be in captivity for a little over 400 years. But after that, I will bring them out with a strong and mighty hand. God always works your way out before you even found your way in. Before this nation was even born. Before the son that would become the nation. Are you hearing me? God said, they're going in, but I already worked it out. That word spoken over us is so powerful and so important. I see things in my children, iniquities, and I, my wife and I will go, we'll say, y'all stay right here for just a couple minutes. We're going to come in and talk to you. We'll go into our room. We'll grab hands. And we said, this is stuff we spoke against before we even had them. No, this is not permitted. And we'll battle in the spirit. And then we'll go minister to their backsides in the other room when we're done battling the spirit. Because we understand the power of the spoken word. Never take it lightly blessing your children. Never take it lightly blessing your wife. Never take that lightly. I take that very seriously as a husband. At least once a week, I'll tell my wife, you're a superstar. You can do anything you want. You're gifted, you're anointed, you're charismatic, you're cute. I tell her that too. 
tell her you're beautiful. Your smile lights up the room. God's growing you. God's developing you. You're carrying the anointing on you. And every day she encourages me. I need more than she does sometimes. She encourages me. Thank you for tuning in to New Beginnings Podcast. If you want to connect with us or find out about our location and service time, visit our website at orlandonewbeginnings.com. If you are in need of prayer, email us at office at orlandonewbeginnings.com. Thank you for listening.